0: morning, everyone. We're in the midst of an unusual weather system. And we have um, thick white snow everywhere outside. As many of you may, but I know some people may not. But it means that we nobody came to the Sunday program because you know, the conditions are very icy. So we really appreciate those of you who are joining us online from various places around Oregon. And I hope you, if you do have snow, that you're enjoying the transformation that snow brings to the whole landscape. We see everything new, we see everything with fresh eyes. It's wonderful. And it reminds me of the early days here. We came here, I think, with eight people um, rattling around in this huge monastery Uh, with eight people, and then gradually, you know, our population has grown. And now more and more people are looking for some spiritual support and help. So our sessions are full, although I'm not sure what will happen tomorrow, depending on the weather, whether people will even be able to get here, physically get here safely. So thank you all for being here in a nice, cold zendo. And I hope you people at home are are warm in body and heart. So this talk, talk is about regulating the inner climate. Regulating the inner climate. Is a really vital practice. So this whole week we've been monitoring the external weather forecasts, So, you know, checking on our cell phones, what's, what's the temperature going to (coughs) be? Seeing the approaching nighttime lows of 22, 18, 15, daytime highs of 24, 26. This is unusual for here. And we've had snow before, but usually it's more wet and heavy and uh, warmer snow. And we've all prepared for the cold by putting on extra layers. I actually have so many layers on that I feel like when I'm bowing, like the Stay stay Puff Marshmallow Lady. And maybe for the first time that I can remember in our 22 years here, we didn't open the windows in the Zendo. Yeah. And the heat in the floor isn't, is exactly enough to maintain warmth up here, a few feet above the floor. But we're all accustomed to regulating ourselves and adjusting to the external climate. All human beings have done that and you can see the birds adjusting too, all fluffed up, all outside of Hogan's study window where the bird feeders are. They all have been clustering inside of a tree, a protective tree, evergreen tree. And It's funny when you walk by, sometimes they all suddenly silence. They'll be chirping madly and then they see a human being. in. So they're, that's adjusting to the outer conditions too. We read also and talk anxiously or think anxiously about climate change. Climate change on the whole earth, the outer climate. Is it too late to turn things around? Various opinions about that. Why are people, or read we, why are we indifferent when the evidence is all around us? Indifferent meaning we worry about it, but are we actually doing anything individually to help with climate change? I think, as everybody knows, I trained at Zen Center in Los Angeles in the late 70s, early 80s. And there are beautiful mountains surrounding the city of Los Angeles. That's why so many people went to live there. It was so beautiful. To live in a warm climate, be able, but be able to look up and see mountains around you. But when I was training as ZCLA, it was rare be able to see them, maybe a few days a year, you'd look up and you'd be surprised, oh, there are mountains up there. And there were many, many days when on the newscast they said, keep your children indoors, don't let, don't let them exercise outdoors, don't let them play outdoors. And we had children at the time, so that was you know a worry. And if you went outside, your eyes would often burn and your chest would hurt when you were breathing, especially if you exercised at all. And when the smog was dense for weeks at a time, on days off, one of my Dharma brothers and I would sometimes drive around looking for another location for the Zen Center. Maybe west, near the beaches and the ocean breeze, or maybe east, near the mountains where the smog didn't penetrate. See, LA, because it is mostly surrounded by mountains, becomes a bowl in which small collects. And if you've flown into LA, you can see it. You're flying in clear skies and then you look down and there's this gray-brown layer and the plane dives through it. It's quite alarming to see it from above when you've been living in it and not noticing it down below. So we would drive around looking for another location. We would try to get Maizumi Roshi to go with us and look at places that we found. We would complain to Maizumi Roshi, but complaints of any kind about other people, about the dirty, noisy, and dangerous neighborhood, about the dense smog, et cetera, et cetera, never went over well. If we talked about pollution in his next talk, he would say that the most dangerous kind of pollution is pollution of the mind. And he didn't mean like what we call dirty thoughts, like sexual thoughts, or thoughts of revenge, etc. He meant something much more subtle than that. He meant the internal climate, the climate in our hearts and minds. If we have access to Dharma practice, we have the ability to detect the internal climate earlier and earlier before it becomes a storm and to change it. And this is an extraordinary blessing. So few people have access to that ability around the world. Their lives are just too full of trying to survive. I forgot to bring this full quote, but there was a quote that um, I referenced and Hogan referenced in our New Year's greeting. It was something like, if you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, and adequate shelter, you are more fortunate than 75% of people on this earth, and so on. If you have access to medical care, you're like in the 95th percentile fifth first percentile of people on the earth and ended with if you can read these words you know there are three thirty i can't remember the number million people in the world who can't read these words so in addition to having those extraordinary blessings of having clothing wonderful food and shelter, we also have the blessing of access to the Dharma. People, and this certainly included me in the early days, often come to Dharma practice hoping for enlightenment, working very hard for a big opening that will cure all their problems. I often say that in that era, which was the flower child, hippie era when we began practice and when Zen practice um, and training centers first developed in the U.S. Um, We we heard about, oh, enlightenment's possible, awakening is possible. And we were just like people jumping off the diving board without looking to see if there was water in the swimming pool. We're just like all in for it. Whatever we needed to do, we would do. So working very hard for a big opening that would cure all their problems our problems my problems making us a radiant being of clear-minded wisdom and warm-hearted compassion always accessible a being for whom all of those qualities of astounding clarity of mind and unlimited compassion were always accessible people who work hard these days who attend many retreats and maybe also take many psychedelic journeys and have openings that help them glimpse another way to be and thus to live. But those openings, whether they happened when we were training in LA or whether they happen now, no matter how they happening happen, are just that, they're just openings. And most often they don't last, they don't have lasting Effects They don't cause lasting changes in people. Within weeks, they become memories. Later to be dug up out of the hope chest of memories and to be fondled. But actually living from those remembered openings evades us. Completely living from those openings evades us. There are a few unusual people, actually, that we know now who have become spiritual teachers, like Eckhart Tolle, who had a profound opening out of suffering, out of deep, deep suffering, and then was able to maintain that opening and expand that opening and eventually guide other people. And Byron Katie is another. So today I want to talk about what Jack Cornfield calls "After the Ecstasy, the Laundry." He wrote a book with that title, "After the Ecstasy, the Laundry." Ecstasy could have a capital E, you know, like the drug. Uh, or these days, it could be exchanged for "After the Ayahuasca." What? The same annoying people in my life, the same difficult mother, the same alarming election looming the same thoughts of the destruction of democracy as we know it, the same wars all around the planet, the same samsara. After the ecstasy, we are plunged back into samsara. And that's when the real work begins. the real work on climate change, this climate change. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, we had a retreat on the work of Byron Katie, a person who had a profound spontaneous opening out of deep suffering. And the spaciousness that she experienced in her wide open heart mind lasted for some time. But then, She could see suffering creeping back in, in the form of thoughts and emotions. And emotions, of course, are feeling tones plus thoughts. And then the thoughts elaborate until it becomes a full-blown emotion. So she watched that happening, and she thought, whoa, I don't want to go back there to this life of extreme suffering. So she developed a very effective method for questioning and examining and changing afflictive thoughts. And we call, it's called the work, and it's wonderful because it's a method that's always available, and it becomes easier to do, more speedy when we practice it. It fits very nicely with our Zen practice, regardless of whether we are in a busy training monastery or we're just living a busy lay life. So it's a, there's a kind of genius in what she saw happening, seeing suffering through thoughts, creeping back in, and working directly with the problem. The problem is in our mind. The problem is nowhere else. It's not in other people. It's not in the conditions that the world is in. Samsara is samsara. Samsara is depicted as a wheel, a wheel that just keeps turning, and that just keeps turning. And then we talk about nirvana within samsara. And is that possible, to live within samsara and experience happiness, ease? There are people that shine that we encounter who show that that's possible. I hope that the, I haven't asked, but I hope that the talk that Eduardo gave last week at the end of the uh, the weekend retreat on, uh, four-day retreat on, on the work of Byron Katie, I hope that talk was recorded. Does anybody know if it was recorded? Nobody here? Probably. Probably, okay, good, because I think we, will, we need to post it because it was extraordinary. He took an extreme example that anybody would say, oh, that's suffering. It was the uh, plug door, not just the window, but the whole door, blowing out on um, the Alaska flight over Portland, 17,000 feet. And he put himself in the place of a person sitting close to that, where that happened. You know, the, there were two seats empty, the next seat. And what was going through his mind, I'm gonna die on this plane, and so on. And he made it very, very real, as it would be for most of us. But then he did the work with, it's interesting, he picked you, isn't it? Somebody who doesn't like to fly. <laughs> he didn't know that. But he did the work with Miyu. She facilitated him. And he worked his way through those thoughts of terrible suffering until he reached a mind of ease with what's happening in the present moment, what's actually happening. So just to watch somebody do that and see the power of the work is really inspiring. As my years of effective teaching are probably less than 10, you know, watching the mind forget and wander around and I'll be sitting over there, it happened this morning, I had all these wonderful ideas for things to put in the talk. And then I like to remember that one and that one and that one and then gone. So as my effective years of teaching are numbered, probably 10 or less. Lately, I've been emphasizing what I see as the two most important practices we can do. Just like cut down to the basic practices that are the most important. The first is detecting and changing the feeling. The first doesn't mean the most important, they're equally important. The first is detecting and changing the feeling tone right at the start of our day. Right at the start of our day. So we get up and come to stumble into the zendo and then we sit down and that's our chance to detect the feeling tone but it also can be detected by anyone when they first wake up what's the feeling tone that i'm bringing into the day and then at intervals throughout the day so this is the carrying practice this carrying practice is sometimes called practice after enlightenment or let's say practice after you have openings how you keep that door open the glimpse that you saw of what's on the other side of our samsaric existence what underlies everything everything always has been eternal all pervading, all penetrating. We use those two words sometimes in our chants. Penetrates, pervades, everything. But is hidden from us most of the time. We get glimpses maybe on peak moments, out in nature, when you've had climax during intercourse, you know. But how long does it last? That feeling of oneness. Complete contentment, contentment, beyond contentment. Just all is right with the world. So we get glimpses. But when we, you know, we, we have to in practice, like, go down, down, down. Okay, here's this thing I'm working with. We have to go down, down, down. That's where the, the simple koans are beautiful. Like, what is this? What is this that's happening right now? It brings us right back to the essential work. What is this? What? What, what? What is the feeling tone right now? And to check that during the day, we get carried away by things we have to do and thoughts about things we have to do and our to-do list and so on. And this thing that happened that we need to think about and decide what to do we just get completely carried away. We're very, very fortunate to have access to practice so we can keep coming back. But in a busy day, which we have here, very full days, to keep coming back, to remember, checking in, checking in, checking in. What's the feeling tone now? This practice involves becoming more and more sensitive To the invasion of subtly negative thoughts, subtly subtly negative feeling tones, that often precede thoughts or follow thoughts. So you can have a thought, and then it can turn into a negative. It can add a negative feeling tone, or you can wake up with a negative feeling tone, and then, as you've all heard me say, the mind wonders. Why do I feel crappy? And then the mind doesn't like things to be happening for no reason, so the mind says, oh, it's because of what happened yesterday. Or it's because of somebody far away who hasn't contacted me, or I don't want to contact, or whatever. We can always bring up some reason to support a negative feeling tone. And then it just elaborates into a full-blown emotion and obsesses us for the rest of the day. But if we can stop that early, early, early on. Oh, negative feeling tone. We have the ability to change a negative feeling tone. I'm not talking about when you have the flu and you, have, you feel terrible, that you can change that feeling, feeling terrible, sick feeling. No, you can actually, but maybe not completely. But just day to day, moment to moment, detective negative feeling tones and changing them. We learn through our practice ways to change them. So most people who have that practice of detecting and changing negative feeling tones will realize that the mind has been closing down, and that's partly responsible for the negative feeling tone, maybe closing down and obsessive thinking about some difficulty, or just closing down into I, me, mine. It doesn't even have to have content. It's just about I, me, mine. And then detecting that closing down as part of the cause of a negative feeling tone, opening up, opening up awareness, just wide open. So we can do it right now. Just open up wide open awareness. You can even ask, what's the feeling tone in the snow? What's the feeling tone in the trees? What's the feeling tone in the sky? When we open our awareness to that, it changes the whole environment that we call myself. So that practice, detecting feeling tone, and checking it through the day, Because we all know we might start with a positive feeling tone. Like, oh, great, it snowed, it's so wonderful. Or I'm going to have a day off tomorrow, or whatever. Positive feeling tone. But then something happens. Somebody says something, something is broken, whatever happens. We get a disappointing phone call, doesn't matter. And the feeling tone changes. And then that changes our experience of hours after that, or maybe the next whole day, or days at a time. So watching that happen, it's taking a step back from this um, relentlessly operating machine of the self, taking a step back and watching, oh, there's there's the problem in the machinery, and detecting it early before it causes chaos in the machinery, or in other people's machinery. of being a person. So then the second thing that I'm emphasizing now is clearing the mind by place learning to place and rest it before thoughts. So we can try that right now. Clearing the mind, just letting all the thoughts drain out down into the earth. The earth will them and transform them into fertilizer. Because they're just energy it's just energy. Letting all the thoughts drain out. And opening into clear awareness. bright awareness before thought prior to thoughts so there's a koan about you know what was your mind before your grandparents were born That refers to this to be being able as many of you heard me say to open the door from thinking mind especially clouded aversive thinking mind and feeling tone, open the door, and walk into something completely different. That is liberation. We have this highfalutin idea of what is oh, liberation. What is, what is enlightenment? It's actually composed basically of these two things. It's ridiculously simple in a way, but very hard work for us to remember and maintain. When you do the work of Byron Katie, or when you sit a silent retreat, you begin to see that most thoughts are just idle nonsense, a waste of our vital energy. And most afflictive thoughts, most afflictive thoughts are simply just not true. You develop the willingness and eventually experience the joy, the ease of letting afflictive thoughts go. And that's the work work of Byron Katie gives you the mechanism to do that. When you can learn to let go of thoughts and rest in a clear, alert, but relaxed mind, at first it takes some mental tension, to hold the mind in the in the state, it's not a place, before thought. But then that tension can relax, like like it would with any practice that you do. Like, you know, I'm trying to learn to roller skate again as a exercise that I actually enjoy. <laughs> and at first it, you know, the first few days that I was doing it, it took tension. It was tense, but now I'm beginning to relax into it. And it's the same thing with our practice. At first, it takes a certain amount of tension to remember remember how to do it. But then, with as with everything, practice makes it easier, makes it normal. So when you can learn to let go of thoughts and rest In a clear and alert, but relaxed mind, the most important Dharma gate has opened. Nirvana in the midst of samsara has opened. So this work with feeling tones and with opening to clear, bright, penetrating awareness can happen during a retreat, but It can be sustained, it can become available when distressing thoughts come forward in daily life or when we're triggered. But this is the work of the laundry. I love that he picked the word laundry because it is a kind of cleaning of this mass of obstructive smog. Then we see, oh gosh, the mountains are beautiful. Oh, my life is actually beautiful. Everybody's life is actually beautiful. Everybody's trying as hard as they can with the equipment that they inherited through generations or the kinds of suffering that they inherited through generations. So this work begins with a keen facility in detecting weather changes. internal weather changes. During our grasses and trees uh, retreat, I used to talk about, so the the retreat where we spend a lot of time out of doors in August, I used to talk about people who lived in the open or relatively in the open, in close relationship with all the changing conditions in the sky, in the moisture, in the air, the wind, even the electrical quality of the air when a storm is coming, even changes in the songs of the birds. So that kind of wide open awareness was part of life, partly because your life depended on it, but it was just a natural part of life. And people could predict, so longtime sailors in the old days could predict what was coming in terms of the weather. But we've lost that ability in terms of aware of the external weather and changes in bird songs. For example, when birds stop singing, it means there's danger. So if we're worried about you know, bobcats or coyotes and the birds stop singing, then human beings used to like alert, like, oh, what's, what's changed? Birds are talking to me. Well, we've lost much of that ability since we began living in wood and metal insulated and sound deadening and temperature changing, deadening boxes, living in boxes and traveling around in boxes. But this exactly is the further practice that the ancestors referred to. I mean, we were really naive in the early days. We thought, oh, great, have a nice big opening, and then your life will be transformed. But all the ancestors talk about further practice, further practice, ongoing practice, practice after the openings. That's more important in a way, because that enables us to continue to open, to continue to change fundamentally in our hearts and minds. And that's the true blessing of this practice. So we have chance about this. Um, and sometimes I say, oh, people think you're, you're cheating if you're changing your state of mind or the state of your heart. Okay, fine, live that way. It's not cheating, it's possible and it's vital if we're going to live a life of even relative ease and contentment. So we have a chant about it. Would you just pass some chant books out? You can even just like, don't have to stand up, maybe just grab, like they do at Zen Center in San Francisco, just like grab a bunch and pass them down. (laughs) So the chant that we've been doing I will abide. What page is that on? Eighty-five. Thank you. So this is a chant that came to us from the Theravada tradition, from the um, from our acquaintance with Ajahn and it talks about what we have to do, the work we have to do. Shall we chant it? Can you? You're familiar with it. Can you hit the? And you want to announce it, Dojin? One quarter, with a mind imbued with loving-kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above and below, around and everywhere, and with all as to myself, I will abide with a all-encompassing world, with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill-will, I will abide pervading order with a mind imbued with compassion. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide Pervading the all encompassing world, and imbued with compassion, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will, I will abide, pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with gladness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and with all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with gladness abundant, exalted immeasurable without hostility and without ill will I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with equanimity likewise the second likewise the third likewise the fourth so above and below around and everywhere and to all as to myself i will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with equanimity abundant, exalted, immeasurable without hostility and without ill will. So this is a beautiful chant. Based on the teachings of the Buddha, that we have the ability to take afflictive emotions and change them into beneficial states of mind and heart. It's work. It's work, and it the 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 work is not, you know, it's it's not done in one loving kindness retreat. It's not done in one chanting of this wonderful chant. It's a lifetime or lifetimes of work. But it involves detecting not, of course we can detect the gross deviations from loving kindness, compassion, gladness for the happiness of others, and equanimity, we can detect that. But then, Once we've worked at that level, we have to work at the more subtle level, at the very beginnings of these afflictive emotions. So that involves the feeling tone. That involves the beginning of the repetitive thoughts about someone or something. So, you know, take, for example, Trump and Biden. And all the craziness that's going on in the news now about is this person you know mentally deficient, is this etc? and what are they going to turn our country into? And, and there are at least two camps that believe that their cherished candidate is going to destroy the, the country. So where does that begin? It begins with believing your thoughts and then the thoughts that come towards you or feed your thoughts uh, through social media and so on but we have this beautiful opportunity through our practice to detect in our own selves the only person we can change how subtly that turning begins and to change it for benefit for our benefit and the benefit of those around us so if you know for me this is a constant practice walking around and finding my 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 thoughts Turning towards the negative, just even subtly, like, oh, what's going on there? What's in? And then, like, conjecture. about Oh, maybe they're thinking this. Maybe they're going to do that. Maybe this is happening. Just watch it. Just turn in that subtle way towards the negative. Catch it. Clear the mind. Let the sun come out as it just did here. Let the sun come out in the mind fresh breezes blow through the mind. What's actually happening right now? I'm walking. The snow is crunching under my feet. The sky was beautiful when it was cloudy, and it's beautiful now. The sun's come out. Oh, look, the snow is sparkling. Breathe in the fresh air. Whatever is true now, not what the mind is saying is true. And we can detect when the mind goes off by how it feels in us. When we perseverate on those kinds of thoughts. So this is the unbelievable blessing of practice. That we have the ability to change our suffering. And I want to just um, ask anybody here if they have ways of practicing those subtle turns of mind or gross turns of mind, hard mind, um, how the work went, whether it helped, um, whether you can keep up the work, or whether that's hard to do without a facilitator, just anything related to what I've talked about. Just think for a moment, is there anything that comes up, anything that I'm working on, or the way that I'm working with afflictive mind states? I'm sorry, we can't hear people online, so you just have to, you can send it, if you have some ideas, you can send them to me in an email, chosen at great But here we have a group of people who are, have hours a day with which to work on this specifically, so. What helps? What helps you detect the turn towards suffering and then work with it?
1: Well, we've got a volunteer over here, Then,
0: then we can ask Austin who's holding the mic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, resisting what's happening uh, takes a lot of energy, wastes a lot of energy. But once we've accepted what's happening, people are worried, if I accept what's happening, then it's going to get worse, right? But accepting what's happening puts us on true ground for then being able to think of creative solutions or... Magically, people come forward who can help us out. All kinds of things happen when we're aligned with the truth. Yeah. 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 Acceptance is the foundation. Acceptance is the foundation. It's hard. Thank you. Anybody else? How do you work with this? Mimi's volunteered.
2: Similar to what Nadine just said, um, since we did the work, I've been, well, during the retreat, I noticed behind a lot of my thoughts a feeling of righteousness would come up. And so this week, whenever I have this feeling of righteousness, like, oh, I'm right, I'm doing it the right way, um, it's been very illuminating. Um, and it's different.
0: Mm. that I have to be
2: doing
0: the right thing the right way. Mm. And you're, you're actually demonstrating relaxing the mind and relaxing the body, because the body gets involved in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Austin Hogan called on you, since you have the <laughs> yeah. microphone.
3: Well, I done the work in the, of the year,
0: but... Because you were cooking for the retreat, yeah. I was
3: in the hut. Oh, that's right, you were in
0: the hut for the retreat, yeah, <laughs> with COVID.
3: But, um, yeah, for me, this kind of checking the internal climate Sometimes shows up like in the body as contraction and my experience getting small and reminding myself when I when I feel that that's the indicator of like, oh yeah, and you're you're believing these thoughts so much, and like remembering that the content is just content, like it's not. Oftentimes, just very fluffy, like full of fluff. That like, yeah, it's like the body happens and like you were saying earlier, like this sensation arises and then I just like pull in some fluff from somewhere and then fixate it on the fluff. But really what's happening is like, there's a version in the body. Um, so just trying to remember that whatever physical experience I'm having
0: Did that help sustain you when you were sick?
3: Yeah. I would say a big a big thing for me being here has been just sitting with discomfort and learning that like, it's fine. It's fine to not feel good. And maybe it's akin to just developing tolerance, but I think it's more than that as well. Just so being able to sit with.
0: No, not. <laughs> mm-hmm. with what is. Yeah, it's um, not easy to align with what is. But um, it's a relief, too. Thank you. Onshin's got his hand up.
1: What I'm planning on saying isn't exactly in addition to what's been said just my own version of what has already been said so I'm acknowledging that, you know, the unity of practice is beautiful. But what's on my mind, so I want to exercise just being able to articulate this for myself partially is why I'm raising my hand, but um, what's on my mind is willing to be burned by distressing thoughts, or anxious thoughts, or thoughts of uh, really intense self-reinforcement, reification. Or inserting a practice tool, a practice response. Being willing to feel doesn't exclude That whole paragraph felt, you know, disjointed from my internal experience of of the description I tried to put forth. So my encouragement for myself and others is, is trusting the wisdom about how to respond.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I think that. You know, my experience of what you're describing is 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 a relaxing into what is, and then what opening up awareness, which is very relaxing. It's hard, you know. the the i found that my mind can just like mutter. You know, like mm, mm, mm. it's not even even articulating grievances. It's just like muttering, and then some words might come up about a specific or kind of searches for you know grievances. It's, it's really amazing to watch. I went to the, this week I went to the doctor because I have um, osteoarthritis in my hands and um, I wanted to see if they were, and they hurt all the time, especially if I use them. Something I never expected in life. Um, so I went to, the, to a hand surgeon to see if, I've been to a rheumatologist who said, really there's nothing we can do. And I went to the hand surgeon, because sometimes they can do surgery to help your thumb work better and not hurt. And he was very nice. And um, I think what surprised him, kind of shocked him, is when he said, no, there's really nothing we can do. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I think he was, like, shocked. (laughs) Because he kept, like, kind of fumbling around, like, well, let's see, is there let's look at the x-ray again, you know. He wanted to do something to help, which is sweet because that's his vow, is to help people who are suffering or in pain. And then uh, finally he said, oh, the physical therapist is here and I'll see if she has time to work with you. So then I worked with the physical therapist for a while and she gave me <laughs> <was so> <laughs> she gave me this. She said, there's this app called Insight. <laughs> And there's this really good meditation on pain. (laughs) So I'm just like, oh, great, thanks. (laughs) She gives me a handout, you know, and and tells me some things I could do. She was so earnest, it was really sweet. And there's some things I'll try, but I know I'm lazy and I may not try. (laughs) But then he, the surgeon, pops in, you know, and he's like, Is everything going okay in here? (laughs) I know, I could feel that in his heart, he felt so helpless, you know? I've got all this skill and I can't help this lady, And I'm just like, it's fine, it's all right. It is what it is, you know? I didn't say that, but it was true. And so it was a nice visit. (laughs) And I I felt sorry for giving him any distress, so I'm gonna write a note to him saying thanks, you were so helpful. Give him like you know 10 stars on Yelp or whatever the rating is because <laughs> he really wanted to help. Yeah, so we do have the ability to help ourselves with whatever's happening. And this is an unbelievable blessing. Most people don't have this. We have the potential to change from the inside out. But when you read the words of this, this chant, abundant, Abundant loving-kindness. Wow. Without hostility and without ill-will. Not a trace of hostility and ill-will. Wow. I've got far to grow, to go and grow and ungrow (laughs) my thoughts. (laughs) So we have this amazing ability to live without hostility and ill-will. This is the promise of our practice. With a heart mind that's, that's got compassion and that can come forth. I mean, that's what he was feeling very compassionate, but he wanted to do something which is now impossible. With a heart mind of basic friendliness, with a heart mind of gladness and equanimity. It's easy to say, it's easy to chant, but it takes many years or maybe lifetimes of practice. So, are we willing to do that? Or will we keep trying to escape into temporary over-the-counter remedies again and again? So I encourage you all because you're not here unless you've seen the truth that the over counter uh, over-the-counter remedies don't really work and all of you online the same. The only reason you're here is you've seen through the illusion that over-the-counter remedies will work and you're here to do the work. I'm just saying, it's gonna take longer probably than you thought.